Welcome to Scanning Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we will provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter, uh, linked to at lastweekinai.com for articles we did not cover in this episode. Before we start, if you have any feedback or thoughts about the podcast, feel free to email us at contact at lastweekinai.com. We'd really love to hear from you of any suggestions. I am Andre Krankov. And I am Dr. Sharon Joe. And this week we'll discuss uh, applications of AI-powered art as well as AI-powered video gaming. Uh, we'll talk about research uh, in uh, better language models that are not necessarily larger, but in fact smaller. Uh, we'll talk about the ethics of killer robots again, as well as our favorite facial recognition. Uh, while it's being banned, it's still everywhere. And finally, we'll end on a fun note of fun, better images of AI that convey the concept of AI better for journalists. All right, well, let's dive straight in. <laughs> So our first article in Applications in Business is titled, This AI-Powered Art App Lets You Paint Pictures with Words. And this is from uh, the company. It's about a company, uh, Wombo.ai, which released uh, an app called Dream uh, that allows people to create art from uh, just text prompts. So you could just say something like, quote, a terrifying tree or, quote, the worst sandwich in history. Um, and you can pick a type of style, you know, Baroque, fantasy art, steampunk, and then you can create it. And in about uh, 20 seconds or less, uh, the app will show your finished artwork. Um, and this obviously is uh, kind of an extension of what we've seen before with uh, Dolly and the like, but now it's coming to consumers and you can actually buy the prints. Uh, and by the end of last month, actually over 10 million images have already been generated by users. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. VQGAN plus Clip is going mainstream. <laughs> yeah. We've discussed it, I believe, over, over a year. We've shouted about how... A lot of people in the AI community, researchers and hackers have been playing with it and got really big uh, for a while there in the middle of the year. And while there's been some uh, services, some websites that have uh, enabled you to do this, you know, the sort of like text to image, our generation out there, this app really kind of went viral on social media. And yeah, now it's huge. And I think it's blowing a lot of people's minds. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Uh, I, I feel like for, from a researcher's perspective, we're like, oh, this has been around for so long. But to make it mainstream and to have people actually uh, kind of take this to the next level and, and be applied and people you know, using it and printing it is, is very exciting. Yeah, and, and looking at some of the results, I do think they kind of made some decisions that make the art a little less, I don't know, chaotic than what you've seen with VQN. Usually there's kind of a smoother look to it mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't have quite as much, you know, uh, noise or, or ridiculousness. So it seems Agreed, like it's a yeah. good, good implementation. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I might actually play this myself. <laughs> you know, it seems like fun. <laughs> you think you'll generate anything, Sharon, or are you are you over this this kind of thing? 
Um, I feel like I've generated lots of things, but I could see myself generating more things. We'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, you know doing this in an app is a little more convenient than in a collab notebook <laughs> where you need a GPU. Um, you know, I, I'm, I hope they'll keep building on it. In, in these uh, notebooks, you can also upload an image. You can customize a lot of things. This is still pretty limited. Uh, but it, it is an exciting kind of showcase of what's to come. I think next year we'll see a lot more of these sorts of apps uh, being adopted by a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And on to our second story. AI Dungeons creators are launching an experimental AI-powered game platform. So Latitude, the startup behind the text game AI Dungeon, which if you don't know is this really fun game where you basically are taking part in an interactive story where the AI is sort of a narrator and you play as a character and you make you know you type in what you want to do and then the uh, AI tells you how the world responds. So they, this AI dungeon thing has been around for a couple of years, and now the company behind it uh, launched as a closed uh, beta of this AI-powered game platform called Voyage, and they have now a waitlist for it. So that's kind of their next step, where they're trying to make really more video games that are more structured. So AI Dungeon is really just this like back and forth text input. There's no goal per se. There's no win condition. You know, it's, it's not a game per se. Whereas with this announcement, they put out uh, two examples of games that they created. One of them is sort of a management game where you're a ruler of a kingdom and you're sort of ruling it. And then there's also one called Pixel This, which is a party game where a person enters a phrase and then the AI generates a picture and then the other player needs to guess it and the image slowly increases in resolution. Uh, kind of like that dream with uh, Pictionary style uh, gameplay. So yeah, it's it's their next direction. It's These are just like the initial examples and they're hoping to really make this into a platform and a tool set for creating AI-based games. I'm really excited about this. Uh, they mentioned that the long-term vision is to enable creators to make anything in a dynamic and a live way that existing experiences aren't. And very much existing game design or game creation platforms, are. it makes it so hard to create a game. Uh, Unity and Roblox actually have quite complex um, game design uh, uh, studios, uh, but this is you know going to make it so that, you know, what a hundred people used to do now can just be one person typing in natural language like you and me to create a game. And I'm, I'm very excited to see where this goes. Same. Yeah. As you mentioned, uh, you know, there's unity and there's unreal engine. There's a lot of these game engines, which is a tool set for creating games, but they are very mature and you really need to be a game developer and use them for a long time to, to sort of learn them. And on top of that, you know, they're not built to work with AI. And so it's it's really non-trivial, I imagine, to even try to do anything. So I think, I, I do hope they make something that's a little simpler and more designed for AI. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what kind of games people can make because, you know, AI Dungeon is pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> 
for anyone who who starts playing it i've shown it to a couple friends and they're just like you know this is incredible and yeah i'm excited for what we can see in the future i might even play with with some of these the pixel this game sounds pretty fun And on to our next article in the research section, uh, announcing the transactions on machine learning research. All right. So this is an announcement for a new journal called the Transactions on Machine Learning Research, uh, or TMLR, which is, you know, uh, very much uh, harking back to a JMLR, which is its sister journal, Journal of Machine Learning Research. Uh, and this uh, was started by Hugo Larochelle, um, Hyun Yun Cho and Rai Hadsel. And I, it's about time that something like this uh, kind of uh, is brought to light. But basically, it's trying to, again, depart from how conferences typically review things and say that you can submit uh, papers at any time. And we will also have a fast turnaround for whether there's acceptance or not. And I think the thing that I'm most excited about actually, um, is around the different types of certification. So you can have an outstanding certification for very high quality paper. But the thing I'm actually super, super excited about is reproducibility certification, um, where you literally are submitting a piece of work whose primary purpose is just to reproduce other published work. Uh, and that is really valuable. And you will provide maybe additional insights, uh, like more baselines, more analyses, more ablations. Um, that is just so important. I think this is really, really great. Yeah, for sure. I think this is really exciting to give a bit more background to non-researchers, uh, the way things work right now in AI research is there's a bunch of conferences, which are just events where people get together and present their work. And so most uh, of work gets submitted to one of these conferences. And a lot of problems have arisen over the years as they've grown. So, you know, a conference used to be maybe 500, 1,000 people. Now it's 10,000 people and there's like a thousand papers. And as a result, um, there's, yeah, there's a lot of issues. So for instance, you know, we do peer review where we check each other's work and that process has gotten a lot more kind of random and, and flawed as things have scaled. And, uh, yeah, this idea of sort of introducing journals. So there is there is one journal, but it's not really typical to submit to that instead of uh, conferences. And so, yeah, the introduction here is to try to um, supplement conferences and sort of fix some of their flaws. So, for instance, because you can submit year-round, uh, it's easier to have better reviewing at the same time, it's interesting that this uh, new journal is adopting some of the practices of conferences as well. So they are going to be using open review. So there's going to be an open process for reviewing, which is uh, more and more common with conferences. And they are also going to kind of be accepting shorter papers. So usually at conferences, it's like you know, six, eight pages in journals, typically they're longer. And that's why you only submit sort of really big work. Uh, and it's kind of hard to get into journals. So yeah, this is really cool. I think a lot of people have been saying uh, that the solution to issues of conferences is, is more journals. And it's very exciting to see someone actually doing it. Yeah, I think this has been talked about in the community for quite a bit. And I'm really glad that like, leaders in 
in in the community are are doing this. Uh, I think it's very important. We'll we'll see about reviewers though. I think you know they're trying to make it as lightweight throughout the year as possible, so it's not just all huddled in one time of year. But it, it's also it's quite challenging. Um, yeah, they have this uh, commitment to accept all assignment requests, so you get assigned to a review. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. Um, but yeah, I think they have quite a team and they have a lot of backers in addition to these main three people who started it. So I'm very optimistic. And on to our second research story. We have bigger is not always better. DeepMind's new language AI is small, but mighty. So this is a new story covering a recent paper from DeepMind titled Improving Language Models by Retrieving from Trillions of Tokens. So DeepMind has published a couple papers on language models in these past few weeks. And this is sort of the last of them where they introduce this uh, model called retro which stands for retrieval enhanced transformer and the big deal about it is uh, it's it's much smaller than something like gpt3 or or many other models we've seen this year it has just 7 billion parameters instead of 178 uh, or you know even uh, 280 billion parameters which deepmind released and the way that works and why it can uh, still work really well is that in addition to the input sequence and the parameters of a model, they now have a database of a bunch of words from uh, Wikipedia, from GitHub, from news articles. And so when there's an input, there's a query to the database to retrieve kind of related information. And the model can then sort of basically read the information from the database and use that uh, when creating the output. This isn't really that new an idea. There's been you know uh, a, a variety of papers that do a sort of retrieval concept, but I think it's maybe the first one that compares to these gigantic language models we've seen come about. And it's it's really cool. They outperform um, you know gigantic models that have you know, 20 times the parameters with this uh, retrieval database. Now, the retrieval database is also gigantic. There's two trillion words in there. So it's not like, you know, you have less uh, data overall per se, but because the model is smaller, it's easier to train and it's uh, faster to get outputs. And there's a lot of benefits. Yeah, so uh, I, I would say it's it depends on what your trade-offs are in terms of you know the model parameters being large or having such a large retrieval database of those two trillion words. Um, also, this this uh, this is a recent blog post, but the um, model came out a bit ago, and I, I'm glad that there is work on you know smaller models. But just so we're we're clear, it's still seven billion parameters. Um, so it's still large, but I guess not as large as some of the crazy large things that we're seeing. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, they, they have had, uh, yeah, exactly. And they've had, uh, deep mind a couple other neat, uh, papers. I don't think we discussed. So they also had a paper on scaling language models, methods, analysis, and insights from training gopher where they looked at 
a bigger, a gigantic language model at, uh, as I said, uh, 280 billion parameters. And again, they've showed that, you know, you go big, uh, things go well, but it's a really long paper with a lot of analysis. Uh, and they also had a paper titled Ethical and Social Risks of Harm from Language Models, where they introduce a taxonomy of potential issues related to language models. So yeah, <laughs> DeepMind really went all in on uh, language models and, and has this one blog post covering uh, all of these things. So um, yeah, I think it's cool work and um, you know it's definitely nice to see more analysis and more results on this really exciting uh, research area. And related to that actually, uh, the uh, MIT Technology Review had an article titled 2021 was the year of monster AI models, basically looking over this trend of really large language models this year. So that's a good sort of summary. Um, and I think looking back, uh, Sharon, you'd agree that this was one of the big sort of trends that we've seen and will continue seeing in AI. Absolutely. Yeah, this was a really important inflection point for NLP. So it's it's been... It's been great and crazy. And I think not just NLP, of course, it's like all transformer models now can handle multiple modalities. And so it's a it's a big deal um, in our field. Definitely, definitely. And on to our next article, uh, which is in Society and Ethics. It is the UN talks adjourn without deal to regulate, quote, killer robots. All right, so we chatted about killer robots previously, and uh, this week, 125 nations, um, which are a part of uh, the CCW, which stands for the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons, um, they convened and they talked about a treaty to regulate the use of autonomous weapons, um, which you know people call killer robots. Um, and uh, basically these systems, you know, these autonomous uh, uh, killer robots or laws, uh, lethal weapon systems, autonomous lethal weapon systems uh, have no human operated quote unquote kill switch um, that must be used to approve lethal use of the weapon. So basically there's no um, human in the loop, no human saying like, okay, now we def we, we can um, switch on the lethal part of this. Um, so it's it's autonomous and not just semi-autonomous, which is something we've chatted about. Um, and uh, the majority of actually these 125 nations did support creating regulations around this. Um, but the United States, as we heard earlier, were, were not um, very supportive of regulations here, as well as Russia and, and India. Yeah, so yeah, I believe we chatted about this, that the US was opposed. And so I suppose this is just the outcome where there's really nothing uh, that came out of it. There was like this vague agreement to continue discussions at some point. Uh, but uh, yeah, there was uh, really nothing that came out of it. And it's not surprising, we, we predicted as much. I think more than likely it'll take, you know, actual autonomous lethal weapon systems existing and sort of media attention and public interest for there to be any, you know, you need pressure. And so I think at this point, 
we're not going to get ahead of this thing. It, it seems like I think we're going to just have to have some bad stuff happen <laughs> before there's any chance of regulations, sadly. Yeah, that is sadly how humans work, I believe. <laughs> not very good at preventative medicine, preventative, you know, killer robots, you know, not, not really into that. I wonder if it's ever happened with weapon systems. You know, we, we've had examples over and over of like, you know, World War One, World War Two, you know, um, chemical weapons. It's always, you use them and everyone is like, oh no, this is, this is not something that should be used in warfare. So uh, the good news is we are far away from really advanced uh, lethal autonomous weapon systems. Um, there aren't any deployed uh, autonomous lethal weapon systems, which may be surprising, but yeah, no one is actually using them. So I think it'll be a while until this is a real problem. If we get into World War III, I'm pretty sure we're going to have autonomous lethal weapon systems. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, we already have nukes, so I don't know. Yeah. And on to our uh, next story in society and ethics are one of our favorite topics because, uh, or at least favorite in a sense, we keep coming back to it. I don't know if you actually like it. Uh, the article is face recognition is being banned, but it is still everywhere. So this is a bit of a survey article that is talking about how we've seen and we've talked about various bans that have happened around the country. So there's been cities like San Francisco, there was Washington State, I think Portland, yeah, just sort of a dozen maybe laws being passed on a local level. But at the same time, the use of facial recognition has been actually climbing pretty rapidly. So now, uh, for example, the number of airports using, using facial recognition for identity checking rose from just 14 in 2020 to 182 in 2021 in the United States. And 182 uh, airports means it covers most of the inbound air travel. And also seven states have adopted uh, facial recognition to verify the identity of people applying for assistance, such as unemployment benefits. So yeah, basically we're seeing more and more use of it in various areas. And I guess it's useful, it's, it's you know useful applications of it. The worry might be as it becomes ubiquitous, it'll be harder to then sort of regulate uh, bad uses of it and you know, we'll just get used to it. It looks like it's mainly centralizing around certain types of facial or certain types of areas like airports, um, where there is a lot of facial recognition now. I um, mean, that's become the norm, um, as opposed to other places. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, uh, looking at the graph of this, it really skyrocketed this year. Um, and in terms of the use of that, and that could be, yeah, that could be because there are lots of other things that people were thinking about. And I think in 2020, that was, you know, the predominant um, narrative. But of course, you know, things shift and maybe they started installing things a bit more this year. Yeah. And it's, you know, ultimately, I think a good thing to have it in airports. And, you know, all of us would like to have a streamlined experience where we can go through security faster. 
I guess the concern is what happens next in terms of our stores going to start using facial recognition to service ads. You know, uh, there, there's a lot of potential annoyances with this. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is something to be aware of, I guess. And on to our last article that is a bit more fun. Uh, it is titled The Better Images of AI. Uh, and this is a pretty interesting project called Better Images of AI. And um, the goal of the project is to create um, a Creative Commons licensed stock photos or stock images that journalists and other people can use um, to give you know, the general public, a more accurate sense of AI and how it works. Um, instead of, you know, showing these ridiculous, like, <laughs> images of, you know, technology being able to do all these crazy things, giving more realistic images, such as I really like the one, uh, that is, you know, bounding boxes around a banana. This is banana around a plant. This is a plant around a flask. That's a, a flask and it looks 3d, but it, it looks like a really nice photo, um, that could be used, uh, in, in different articles. And I, I think this is actually a great project um, and makes a lot of sense since I've seen a lot of really weird images attached to what AI is, like usually like a brain and like um, some kind of like blue Tron-like. Yeah. <laughs> there used to be a lot of robots. I think there's been less robots, uh, but they're still pretty common. And that is a problem because nowadays, you know, AI, as this uh, project says, you know, it's something like object recognition. It's not, you know, robotics. And as you said, there's a lot of robots. Uh, sorry, there's a lot of brains and on all of these things that can give a wrong impression. So yeah, this is this is pretty cool, and this is done by the BBC Research and Development Group, uh, as well as the We and AI UK nonprofit, uh, and uh, one more group, the Level Hume Center for the Future of Intelligence. So yeah, it's it's pretty great. Uh, it's nice to see BBC, I suppose, being in media, uh, actually. Uh, working on this and it's pretty interesting. I, I guess I would not have predicted there to be an organization, uh, but it's certainly something that AI researchers could appreciate. And that is for our last episode of 2021. Wow, what a year. <laughs> uh, we, thought, we thought 2020 was crazy. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, we started last year in March. So now we are, the podcast is growing up. Uh, next week, we're going to have a special episode looking back uh, on the year. So check that out. It's going to be kind of a fun discussion. And yeah, let, we can just say thank you for listening. It's, it's really fun to be able to share our thoughts on all this news and uh, you know we appreciate that some people apparently want to listen and you know enjoy this stuff i think it's really fun to uh watch how you know ai both in applications and research and of course um in society and in you know some of the fun applications which are usually robotics um have evolved over this year and over the past couple of years and to do it together with listeners. Um, and we're very, we're very happy that our rambles can be of, uh, amusement or, or learning. 
Yeah, yeah. I think both of us have been enjoying doing this uh, quite a bit just for seeing all these trends and finding out about a lot of things we would not have found out about otherwise. So, you know, we enjoy it and we, and we do have, uh, we do hope that uh, anyone, you know, who's listening to this, uh, that you also enjoy it. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hopefully you are subscribed if you're listening this far, but yeah, subscribe. Maybe tell other people to subscribe and also don't forget to leave us a rating and review if you like the show. Uh, you can even give us a bad review, uh, but you know, any, any review would be interesting for sure. Yeah, feedback is always welcome. And remember, you can uh, directly email us with feedback at contact at lastweekinai.com. And be sure to tune in next week and next year. Happy New Year. And yes, tune in next year.